Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, and welcome to Game Master's Studio, talking normally tabletop tips and tricks to help you bring your game at home to the next level, but this is one of our bonus episodes. Uh, these the bonus episodes are ones that you can kind of skip if you don't really feel too into it. We're not talking so much about games and tips and tricks to use, but rather our own experiences and just this is just more kind of us hanging out talking gaming. And so if it's not your cup of tea, you won't miss anything skipping on to the next episode. That being said, my name is Jerry. I'll be acting as host and moderator for the show today. Uh, with me in the studio is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath, and semi-professional DM, and Ed. And this is my cup of tea. Today we are talking about some of the past campaign premises that we've had. Uh, interesting ideas that we came up with. We know that we share stories and bits and pieces from games here and there, but we wanted to talk more about the overarching uh, story of some of the games that we've run or participated in, some of the ones that were a little bit more interesting to maybe spark a little bit of a uh, appeal to a player. Somebody might hear something that's like, hey, that's really cool. I want to implement that. Yes. So we'll just kind of do that, and hopefully somebody will get something out of this. And if not, at least maybe we'll have some interesting storytelling and just so that our future episodes are a little less storytelling and a little more uh, tip sharing. Uh, well, I guess I'll start one of my uh, earliest uh, D&D games that I ran that I would also consider one of my more successful ones. Uh, and I believe this was in third and 3.5 back when they were the only two options. Uh, or well, the latest two options um, is I actually had a, it ended up being a three tiered campaign. So it was like a campaign broken into three campaigns. Uh, and the first one was the, I, I, I feel like that was really the best part of the premise was um, the players had gone into this ancient, like abandoned, like tomb or monastery and they went through it and they found all this stuff. And then they found this very unique piece of treasure and I described it, and because I'm, you know, so, can sometimes be unoriginal, I described it as the uh, uh, the medallion from uh, the never-ending story, the two snakes sort of biting into each other. Uh, but you know what? I I loved that movie as a kid, and I loved that symbolism. So I'm like, ah, oh, screw it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. You know, and I gave it a few specific details, and then I it seemed as if that was going to be the end of it. So then the players, they go back to their small village and they can't find a way to pawn it off. So they have to go across the continent to go to the capital to try to sell it. They're all in it for money. They have their different reasons. You know, one was a paladin to, you know, try to create a new uh, like local church or orphanage or something like that. You know, they, they all had the reasons, but the idea was the players find this ancient artifact, but don't know it's an artifact. They get rid of it. But then when they get back, there was a truth sayer, or something who just had this strange, like seeing a moment where it just rattled off some things that had happened to them on their journey. And all of a sudden they're like, Oh no, I think that whatever we, we got was actually more powerful than, than, uh, than we had imagined. And it turned out that it, there was, and it was just some random like amulet of chaos thing where it was just, uh, you know, it was going to start warping reality. So, you know, I had like giant ants fight them and there was this, 
you know, village of perpetual winter. And then, you know, people who were, you know, crazed and killing each other, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, they went through all that, but the basic idea was that they had to go find the amulet again and then take it back to the same place that they first got it from. And also they had this ancient ritual that could uh, reseal it and make everything just dormant. So I liked that. And then parts two and three were just sort of sequels to that. Part two is just this large invasion of the the capital city. And then part three was not only not necessarily taking the invasion back, but there was a unique character that had been built up through the other two stories, sort of an immortal character. And then it sort of just revolved around his immortality. And it turned out that uh, thousands of years ago, he was this sort of epic level paladin who was fighting this evil, you know, dragon king or something like that. And uh, he won, but then the cult that followed that dragon sort of uh, were able to finish him off and then turn him into, to make him suffer, turn him into this sort of immortal that would never be able to die. And then the whole idea was he was searching for his death um, by uncovering the secrets of that, uh, that cult. I, I really kind of liked that wraparound for the. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, it sounds interesting. I really kind of like the idea with the chaos medallion. Yeah. Just being able to come up with as a DM sit there and come up with just wacky, not really wacky, but wacky and insane and off the wall ideas for encounters. And it perfectly fits in yeah. per the story. And you can do all sorts of stuff you never would have been able to fit into another game. I think right. that could be a lot of fun. Yeah. And I liked it too, because it went from town to town, from little city, little towns and villages to large cities. And it involved all kinds of different races, had slavers, had all kinds of different things. I thought it was pretty cool. There was a big, massive battle at the end against this uh, evil orc who I had just been hinting at here and here. And there was a, a primary antagonist who was actually that immortal, but he was, they didn't know as much about him at the time. Pretty interesting. Did you run all three or did you I ran all three? Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if maybe you just ran the first one and planned out the others or something like that. Cool. No, I ran all three. Um, it was Amulet of Chaos. And then as lame as this sounds, the second one was actually the Cape of Kingly Virtue. And the idea was that there was this uh, a mystical cape, another sort of artifact they had to go find. But the idea behind it is that whoever wore it, they'd get like like five or ten years, but they had all this power to and sway over people to sort of set up their own kingdom. But there was some curse if you failed it, where you'd be in you know hell for eternity or whatever. Um, so in in part, when the antagonist, when the immortal antagonist from the first game found out about this. He was on his own quest to find it uh, because I even if you succeed, it still kills you. So he's going to find this ma magical artifact that if he gets it, dons it, sort of uh, uh, attunes himself to it and then succeeds to create a kingdom in his image within the time frame, it will kill him. So it's another idea of this character who is obsessed with his own death. Yeah, he was trying to prevent the the players in the first game from getting the amulet back together because if all reality is ripped apart, he'll die. He uh, was trying to find this cape so that he could don it, rule for a bit, and then he would die. And then in the the third game, it was actually that was the the time frame between him getting the cape and the cape's effect was actually the time frame that was skipped from between the second and third game. He actually invited them back. Uh, and they were there and he was actually holding a ceremony as it was de his death ceremony. It was the day he was supposed to die and he didn't. His family did. 
they were killed. And it was interesting because there was a paladin in the, in the group and I'd sort of warped his detect evil a little bit instead of just, you know, he could detect, you know, evil in people I actually have it like a alignment detector. So like there was a line and it was either white or black or somewhere in between to determine good, good, good or evil. And then there, it was either rigid or wavy or somewhere in between to determine law and chaos. And so it always, it was a, 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 a slightly wavy black line all, th- all through knowing this guy, just a slight, like mostly straight, but a, a wave here or there. So basically a lawful evil guy, you know, with, with, with a little bit of chaos thrown in. But when they get back to him and he's got this cape on there, I actually, I, he said, I want to, I want to detect his alignment. I said, okay, you see a, a straight white line. And then I actually, when the whole thing happened, his family died and all that, I, I, I looked right at him and I said, as you're watching him, you start to detect evil on him. You see that straight white line turn hectically. uh, um, Sorry. You see that straight white, white line uh, scatter all over the place. It's, it's not a a, a straight any longer. It's got all these angles and everything and it goes to a deep black. So that like instant, he just lost it and just went back to his evil self and whatnot. But by the end of that, that's when they realized there was actually a cult that was controlling all of this and, and was, you know, bringing him back to life every time he died and sort of keeping that torture up. So, yeah. Thank you. Um, so I'll have one that I brought up that Jared should be well familiar with because he was actually part of it. Um, I just I have it written down as the Isle of Arcturus, which I know is not it because Arcturus is actually a reference from the Aliens movie, but I can't remember what the actual name I used was. Um, but the rough concept for it is each of the players is a criminal. They've been arrested, tried, convicted, and now they're being sentenced. And they're being sent off to this prison island colony. Uh, you know, a fantasy version of Australia, if you will. Sure. Not modern Australia, but what Australia was for a while. They just they'd ship the cr- the criminals off there, and then they'd have no way to get back, so they wouldn't have right. to worry about them anymore. Um, and the players were all being sent together, so they're all entering the prison at the same time together. So they have to kind of rely on each other a little bit because they have no cred with anybody else, and they actually wind up teleported to the island in the middle of it, and they have to find their way to some sort of civilization. So right there, they have to rely on each other to survive. And it was built as a bit of a sandbox where the players had the choice to try to take over the island or try to escape the island. Right. Personally, as DM, I didn't really care which they did. I just wanted to see how they go. And they pretty quickly agreed that they wanted to conquer the island. Um, one or two, <laughs> One or two were like, well, I'd like to be able to to get out of here, go home, whatever, but that would be easier to do if we conquered the island. Yeah, they pretty much agreed that, you know, like, well, maybe the first step is conquering the island, then getting off of it. <laughs> so, you know, they run into, you know, the higher level people that have been here for a while, the gangs that are kind of running the show. They start to get set up, set themselves up. Um, I had plans for a lot of it there's a number of ways that i had already thought about okay how could they theoretically escape and how could the people who built this prison circumvent that they didn't get a chance to run into him because like i said they didn't go to escape um 
the island was actually going to be in another dimension. So it wasn't anywhere in their world. Um, there's going to be, like there's going to be giant. So they wouldn't just be able to do, oh, I'll just teleport out. Um, well, they were teleported through a specific teleportation circle that was designed to be a one-way trip. Um, if they just, it was, a, it was a demiplane. So if they flew out, they, if they tried to teleport out, they would get warped and they teleport back somewhere else on the island. If they tried to sail away from the island, there were these leviathans that would attack the ships mm-hmm. if they got out too far. There was a tempest, an unending tempest that would prevent them from flying. Um, I, the drow was talking about trying to connect in with the Underdark. He was gonna yeah, he f- wanted to dig. <laughs> he was going to find a colony of drow who were running a mining system trying to do the same thing. Um, and obviously they hadn't found anything because none of them knew they weren't on the same plane. That would have been revealed eventually. Um, unfortunately, the game wound up imploding, um, as evil games often do, uh, right. when one of the players, the drow, specifically chose to be very drow-like, and when the other players were wounded following a difficult battle that he wasn't involved in, tried to attack and kill his big, what he saw as his big threat to leading, um, which was the bugbear anti-paladin. Right. Um, and then a general melee broke out and, uh, you know, the because the paladin, the anti-paladin was fighting the drow, he wasn't able to save the necromancer from dying. And um, when it all came out, you know, half the party was dead. The other half was like, wow, that was just insane that we went through all that. Um, and we didn't really get to continue the game, but it was fun as a concept to, to throw the players into a world or a land where they have nothing but each other to rely on. Yeah. And then they have to kind of develop under their own wits and grow and survive and thrive. I would take up too much time, but I sort I sort of did something like that. And so I, I like that idea. Uh, my version of that was they were, they started off fighting this evil wizard, um, like a godlike evil wizard. And he threw this like black orb at them and it hit them and it, but it teleported them to, uh, a different land. They weren't sure if it was the past. It kind of seemed like it was sort of a tribal past because everything they found was like tribal humans and elves and that sort of thing. And but that was the concept: is that this this wizard, whenever there's enemies, you know, sometimes he'll pop them back to these this other area. So they sort of had to face some of the people he was popping back with. And even though the player character group all went at the same time, some of the NPCs that they had known about, um, or even other NPCs. Uh, got there well before them. There was one specifically, and I probably won't, uh, and you actually mentioned maybe games that we won't get to run. I probably won't get to run this. One of them that they found out about was that there was a necromancer in the area. It was going to take a while to get to him, but he was there. And he was actually the lead wizard attacking um, this villainous wizard, the villain wizard God uh, in the like opening or, epi- or, or prologue. Yeah. Um, uh, and he became a lich because with the resources that he had, the only way that he knew he could stay alive long enough if they were in the past to affect this thing was by becoming a lich. So I thought that was going to be a really cool like story with that dynamic of I'm doing an evil thing and I'm becoming an evil character, but it's the only way I can last long enough to find out if this guy comes back ever. You know, so that maybe I can cut it off at the pass, you know, that sort of thing. And I had some other things whipped in there too. Like I had the, that wizard, his lackey, uh, he was, uh, 
just some big oaf who carried all his books around, but he actually ended up going like 60 years into the, he, when, when he teleported into that plane, it was 60 years before the player characters teleported in there. And he spent the entire time on his own surviving on his own wits and alone, but because he had all the wizards books, he became like a powerful wizard who'd created like his own creations and stuff too. They eventually found out about his lair. I thought that was a really cool thing. And uh, it su- got surprisingly emotional when I was started going through just the absolute loneliness that this guy was going through, even though there were all kinds of tribes of elves and humans around, you know, he said, some of my master's books say that if you go through time, you're not supposed to affect it or affect it as little as possible, or you might hurt things. So he's been isolating himself ever since to keep, he's making his own sacrifice right in order to keep the timeline intact. Exactly. So it was actually, it was kind of a sad little story there that I didn't expect to be that sad, but some of the, some of the players sort of reacted to it that way, like kind of sort of took that to heart a little bit. I thought that was kind of cool, but yeah, the idea was too, was I was sort of going to just rewrite the history and be like, okay, well you guys are the main characters of this thing. And you're going to really just start the history of my world. I'm just going to pretend that my world doesn't really exist except for like one point. And you guys are just going to go with it. And I was going to have them like become gods or something too, maybe, but never got to that point. Pretty sweet. Uh, One of my past campaigns that I don't think I've ever touched on is actually an exalted game that I ran. I don't talk too much about exalted. Um, Back in the day, you'd love the crap out of first edition Exalted. I just love the whole system. Very anime-esque kind of feel to it. You know, everyone's got like these special techniques and superpowers. And if you've never checked it out, check it out. It's pretty cool. But um, one of my favorite concepts in the game itself is while older editions of D&D used to make it hard to do cool things in stunts, you would get bonus dice for trying to pull off stunts. So that's like one of my my big things. Like the more elaborate you you, you try to make your yourself out you know the, the situation out to be the the more bonus dice you get so the campaign um i referred to it as the once and future king it was very much of a, a spin-off of the whole king arthur you know the the, the authorian kind of concept king arthur returning one day to once again rule england and return it to its former glory blah 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 blah, blah. so the general concept was that there was a uh, it started with a reincarnation of merlin and he was going to be a lunar, you know, basically the the werewolf equivalent in Exalted, and also be more of the the spellcaster. I think it's New Moon is the cast, I believe. In uh, he would be a Sidereal, What's or that? whatever it is. Sidereal is a whole different Exalted type. Yeah, and I wanted him to speci- I specifically wanted him to be very kind of druid-esque you know what i, I mean okay, so I, I, I went with the lunar kind of concept because how i was playing off merlin wasn't that he was a wizard so much as he was a very powerful druid um i got you i got you You know go kind of kind of playing off of that whole thing because in some some legends they play merlin off as more of a druid than in less of a, a wizard kind of deal still super you know magical powers either way you know what i mean so right. i know in werewolf it's the crescent moon that are the th- sages but exalted i know is slightly different yeah exalted i don't recall i i think it's the new moon it might be the it might and be werewolf the new moons. moon are the tricksters so again he was you know he was a spellcaster type he was a druid he was um from another pack of lunar where he was um basically his totem animal was bear when he would you know turn into his hybrid form uh he 
had looked like you know again a, a man a wear bear kind of thing but he had a, a silver scar over one of his eyes that in, in both forms and anyway so his reincarnation was you know and this took place in not present day but i think i had it placed at the time about i think it was about 16 20 years this into the future we're actually almost to about the timeline now <laughs> to where i had placed it because i ran this back in around like 2000 so first of all, you know, Merlin comes along as a reincarnation and he fought, tracks down and finds the reincarnation of King Arthur. And then the players come in as basically like the, you know, skipping ahead a little bit, not getting into all, all the specifics. You know, uh, uh, King Arthur was just your typical solar exalted. Um, the the players are playing like the Knights of the Round Table is basically what it be, kind of boiled down to. Yeah. Like he went around recruiting the best of the best around the world and Merlin helped unlock all their powers and potential and they all became exalted. I want the best of the best and also these PCs. So we had like, you know, like one character was from like, uh, was um, uh, Arabian, you know, and he like dual wielded scimitars and, you know, he was um, a knight cast uh, Solar, you know, very kind of thievy, ninja-y, assassin-y kind of thing, like manipulated. Some of his powers were like very like he was so fast. He almost like was like he could teleport, you know, different kind of stuff like that. Right. Um, one of the characters wanted to be a childhood friend of the reincarnation of Arthur. So he played this dude named Jacob. And again, you know, so all the players are basically recruited as the Knights of the Round Table. And the concept was, again, like we were on the brink of World War Three. So, again, I took Exalted out of its typical creation, you know, uh, right. setting and put it in, you know, yeah. sl- you know, slightly future modern day. Oddly enough, I think they're making a new King Arthur movie. <laughs> uh, sometimes I think like, man, if I wasn't so lazy, because originally my, this idea was going to be as a novel that I wanted to write. And then I knew I'd never get around to writing it as a novel. So I decided to play it as an Exalted game. And now I've been thinking about writing it as a screenplay and then found out that they're doing a movie. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the concept was World War Three was getting um, was breaking out again. I wrote this around early, like early 2000, maybe 2002 ish. So we were it was after 9-11. We were going into the Middle East. So I played off of that concept of how like things escalated off of that and turned into a World War Three through various reasons. It's not worth dwelling on. Um and eventually the concept was that Merlin, the original Merlin, not the current reincarnation of Merlin, had quote unquote locked magic to help keep the world from blowing itself up. He put sealed magic decades and centuries ago. So that's why the average person doesn't have access to it anymore. All these tales talked about how there used to be magic back in the day, but now there's not magic. In order, and then World War Three breaks out. King Arthur is going around basically like trying to put out fires all over the world along with his knights of the round table. Merlin's basically teleporting him from here to there to here to there to here to there. And basically like one little battle at a time, you know, and having some really, you know, we had some really cool, you know, moments where like, you know, this tank's rolling up on this squadron of, um, you know, American soldiers. And then right as it's about to friggin' like shoot its cannon, all of a sudden King Arthur pops up you know, slices the shell from the cannon in half, like, you know, basically almost like uh, Super Saiyan instantaneous movements over to the tank and cuts the tank in half while, you know, the players all start fanning out and taking on all these, you know, other soldiers and tanks. And it's very anime post, you know, apocalypse-esque kind of stuff going on. So finally, um, the, I can't remember what I referred to them as, but basically the equivalent of 
the bad guys. <laughs> they all round up and decide, screw it. King Arthur's too powerful. We're tired of him being on the, like, you know, the allies side. And they all decide like, let's just nuke the world. Let's frigate. Like we, we give up. They decide to all set off the nukes and Merlin ends up basically exhausting his power. And the only way that he could stop all the warheads was for him to first unseal magic. So he had his full potential of magic available to him. So he unlocks the seal that, oh, that's been binding magic for the last, you know, several centuries. Right. At the same time, he wasn't still able to stop all the warheads from, from making contact. So now there's all these dead zones all over the world. So there's simultaneously an unlocking of magic and a release of radiation scattered around the world which then unlocked what I started creating like mutants. Like I had basically kind of like lizard folk kind of people, you know, people that had mutated. So we had like humanoid lizards and different random, like, you know, like where esque animal things and stuff like that. Weird, just weird stuff going on that might seem normal in a fantasy kind of situation. But again, it's supposedly mo modern ish day. And again, just played the players off of that, just running around trying to, you know, finding out, okay, there, you know, this area, like, okay, this area might have a bunch of lizard folk. This area might have like a bunch of like werewolf esque kind of creatures. This area over here has like a bunch of rat men, you know what I mean? Depending on the, the terrain, the area, the country, you know, what was going on. There were some labs that had been doing some experiments with some like uh, super soldier kind of stuff on top of it. You know, we had some uh, 40K inspired like, um, battle suits like space marine style stuff you know i stole from everywhere That's pretty cool. so it was pretty fun you know um again it was like unfortunately it was kind of one of those like where i really wanted the warheads to go off so the players were kind of set up to fail on that end you know like where they they, they all thought they were trying to stop these warheads from going off and they did stop most of them from going off but i really wanted to get into post apocalypse not just playing through world war three because I wanted, I would like my plan was to unlock, you know, unseal magic, have these bombs go off, and then all of a sudden there's like these weird mutant people all over the world, and you know, just all this weird stuff going on. But everyone friggin' like playing King Arthur's Round Table, like how you know, as exalted characters, friggin' badass. There were some cool friggin' characters in that group. <laughs> I like how you kind of got got like a built-in self-fulfilling prophecy there, where like Arthur's like here to prevent World War Three. And really, World War Three happens because Arthur's running around trying to prevent it from happening. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to kind of build that level in. Maybe have the players go, well, geez, maybe this is our fault. Maybe if we hadn't done anything, mm -hmm. things might have turned out better. I like building levels in like that. Uh, I have a game that I'm actually preparing that is... I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Lotus. Have you guys ever seen Lotus War? The record of Lotus War? Yeah, I've seen Lotus War, yeah. Check it out if you haven't. It's pretty good. Uh, I'd have to give you the actual episode run that is the sort of the, I guess, the movie of it. Uh, but the idea is there's, you know, it's like a D&D &D adventuring group and they're, you know, making their rounds or doing this thing and there's some evil stuff going on. But throughout most of the story, there's this evil protagonist uh, the black knight uh, who is definitely seems, you know, destined that they're going like the, the hero is going to fight this guy. They're going to go after each other. They're going to fight. There's going to be a big deal. And there's this war that breaks out and there's this like evil sort of druid wizard thing. You know, it's pretty cool, but they get towards the end of that. And eventually they introduce this, this character, the sorcerer character. Okay. 
And, uh, you know, he's there and he's a bad guy, you know, he's on the side of evil and whatnot. And even though the main plot seems to be about this black knight taking over for the evil king and trying to wage war against, uh, you know, the, the good people and whatnot there, there's this other thing that's happening in the background towards the end that ends up being even bigger. He ends up something like this massive demon thing that is going to try to wreck the world. So they have, they have to have to go try to fight it and that sort of thing, um, which is pretty cool. I like that idea of there's this major overarching premise, but somewhere in the background, there's actually a bigger thing that's going to happen after you get your, your deal gone. So the main character's name is Parn and he does end up fighting the black knight and he does it to save uh, uh, his loved one, and but in so doing, there's this ritual that the sorcerer is casting that he's not able to stop that brings forth this demon dragon thing, and there's a lot more to it and, and that sort of thing. I mean, eventually they, they finish it off and, and whatnot, but I sort of like that. So sometimes I'll tailor my games around that where there's this major overarching plot line that you assume is the main plot, because it seems like it is, but then right just as it seems to be ending, something else is sort of appearing and you don't really think much about it until afterwards bad stuff is happening. So after you've defeated the sort of primary antagonist, primary villain, all of a sudden some dude summoning a demon, you know, uh, I, I've, I sort of like those stories and concepts. Um, I don't do them all the time, but I do like, I do like those. One good example of that would be if anyone's ever played from, third or 3.5, I believe it's called the red hand of doom. There's uh, uh it's one of my favorite modules. I don't do modules a lot, but it's one of my favorite, favorite modules, uh, which is there's this massive hobgoblin army that's descending upon some sort of veil or Valley. And it seems like the entire thing is all about fighting this army, slowing them down, you know, disrupting their supplies and gaining allies to try to fight against them. When uh, towards the end of it, there's actually uh, that that is what they're doing, but they're also summoning this. Uh, well, they're summoning Tiamat, if I if I remember correctly. So there's this this massive thing. Like eventually, you realize after you defeat the army, you're like, wait, there's more. I got to go find this guy's original lair, and oh, now I realize that there's so much more to this. There's a, a god trying to rip through into our area here, and we got to stop that. So I. I sort of like those things. I know if this is a, you know, if we're, if we're sort of giving these ideas for, cause I don't want to go into details on what I'm creating because I want to run it. Um, you know, I, if for P for people who maybe are looking for some inspiration, maybe from this episode, I mean, those are some kind of cool ways to do that. Give them the obvious plot device, but then slowly hint about other things in the background that might be happening in the bam demon God, you know? Yeah. That's the good way to set up the big, yeah. long overarching, right. you know, campaign, you know, the, the year to, to the year or three year long campaign. Well, and you can yeah. also change yes, those. Yes. Yes. Or no. I, I mean, mean, it doesn't have to be, but I mean, that's usually the best way to set up the really long ones. He's like, you know, you start off with what you think is what a quick and easy adventure. And the next thing you know, it's like, Oh man, there's a lot more to this. You can also but change that's, those. That's, with, I feel like that's a different, I'm sorry, Jerry. I feel like that's just a sort of different from what, like imagine you're deciding, okay, I'm going to run like a 10 session game. And the final big boss, give me this, some giant demon God, right? The first eight sessions, are you following the black knight around trying to stop his, uh, 
uh, what he's doing or counter his army or his king or whatever. Like at first he's a lackey and then he's a sort of a leader, that sort of thing. The first eight of those sessions are you're trying to stop the Black Knight. So you, everyone's going to assume this is what we're doing. We're stopping the Black Knight. But then you do it and just as he's done and you've defeated him and all that, a sorcerer is summoning a demon god. So the next two sessions are fighting the demon god, you know, or putting him out or whatever. Um, definitely opening with a small thing that ends up being a big thing is pretty cool. That kind of like that amulet of chaos deal, but I sort of also like the thing where it's like the thing you've been doing all of this time, though important. Um, now that you've finished it, there's also a bigger thing that's, that's happening because of it. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of unique and I sort of like that occasionally. So sorry to interrupt you, Jerry. And well, I was, I was just going to say that you can also, you can chain that as, you know, they defeat the black knight and the sorcerer shows up. And then as they're about to defeat the sorcerer, there could be another villain who's making their play. You know, maybe they kill the demon unleashing yeah. all of this essence, which then gets absorbed by this necromancer and redirected to raise an army of the dead. And now yeah. they have to deal with that or, you know, so no, you, you can, can just keep cause it going. an effect from one adventure to the next. All right. Yeah. Um, I actually have one that that we've I've mentioned we mentioned on the podcast a few times, and I think was kind of one of the examples of why we kind of wanted to do this was to talk about the overarching story plot of the Shadow of the Tower, um, which we've referenced several times during the podcast. Um, it was my at least once. It was my second attempt at trying to do a serious sandbox game. Um, and everybody else saw that as, oh, Jerry's running another evil game, um, which this was not intended to be an evil game, um, but rather had the PCs brought together by a powerful wizard. And rather than be, you know, there is a great threat to the world that we must defeat. The wizard was seeking the presence of immortality and had been disrupted multiple times by adventuring groups who thought he was this evil big threat where all he wanted to do was learn how to live forever. And so he was going to have the party go forth and wreak havoc so that anybody looking for troubles to quell in the land would be going after the party and not the wizard. Now, just in case the party wasn't okay with this, he set them up with uh, these these slave collars that would kill them uh, in the event that they disobeyed or turned against him. So they were forced to go out and there's a, a valley that just a couple of towns and a garrison that we started with that the players moved around and it was very much okay to the players. Now, what are you going to do? I tried not to necessarily direct them and say, you had to go to this. You had to go do that, but rather give them the big overarching view. This is what's around you. How do you want to approach that? Um, And it was really interesting to see, how they did because we've got them. They decided to create a mythical villain that was coming to destroy and they needed to unite and rule the Valley to stand against him. And they were simultaneously being the villain and being the heroes opposing the villain and trying to play every side against each other. And it worked out well. It was fun. We ultimately, we started at first level. We had to pause after sixth level. Yes. Uh, yeah, I believe Emmerich ended up was a one first level wizard, fifth level fighter. Yeah, well, was, he he might have had that level. before the last session though. Like he had that going into that big fight at the end. Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah. We played. We got to play a session as sixth level. 
Yeah. So and then in the final, uh, the final battle ra- actually wrapped up with them. Um, they went to take over a town and wound up actually causing the golems defending it to go berserk. Yeah. Uh, and then they had to rally the townsfolk and whatever allies they could find to defend the town against this uh, clockwork army, the clockwork horde. And they managed to carry the day. And so now they kind of have control of this one town. But there are other threats looming. And we may at some point still go back to that campaign, pick it up. I'd um, like to. Uh, Ed asks me at least once a month, like, so when are we playing Shadow of the Tower again? <laughs> Should, um, should I ask more often? No. Okay. <laughs> um, because it won't be less. Ed had the most invested in that game. <laughs> yeah. Or Ed, the most going for him, I should say. Yeah. I, I, I played a, a um, character named Emmerich. He was sort of, he decided he wanted to be a king. And so he was sort of leading the group through this quest. Decided, well, this veil would be good to take over first. Uh, and I think that's where the evil part of it came is because like I had told you the way I planned on, make making this character like he wasn't a bad guy but he was lawful neutral and and i said in likely he would be become lawful evil by the end of the game because even though he's a good relatively good person he's willing to do the the hard thing the necessary thing which oftentimes can be evil so you know yeah and there's there were even though you know i joke about it being the evil uh you know everybody decided hey jerry's running another game let's play evil characters um you know jared specifically playing a death cleric at first um and uh, first one, was playing a freaking yeah one of the other players dead, playing a uh, oathbreaker paladin <laughs> um so they were kind of not nice people but at the same time i don't think I mean, there was a couple of we weren't assassinations. <laughs> yeah, no. we we didn't. Yeah, we didn't. We all had self control. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, half the town of Engelbright Mines got burned. Yeah. Or there was some burning and looting there, and there's some Quote, assass- unquote, some assassinations and some political backstabbing. But my my yeah. favorite thing is Jerry uh, goes on and on about how like it wasn't an evil campaign but when you first proposed the idea to me you're like i had an idea of how i could run an evil campaign <laughs> without it imploding on itself having because you had the, the bad experience with yeah, the previous yeah. game that's how the game was first proposed to me i had an idea of how to run an evil game and then it was never told oh, to me you can play whatever you want it was always Jerry's new game that's coming. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't recall. I mean, I don't remember. Yeah, I, know, well, I know evil campaign was mentioned a couple times in the beginning and then it wasn't mentioned anymore, but it was never specifically. You can play any alignment you want. And then when you already have a group that's 90% evil, you kind of don't want to be the only good guy. <laughs> well, we did. We did. Well, we did actually, we kind of had, um, because we had the Oathbreaker Paladin and the Death Cleric. Um, we had Emmerich, the, the, the knight who's willing to do whatever. Uh, we had a warlock who was just kind of going along with the flow, and I don't think Irena was the the party rogue was necessarily evil so much as just kind of there. Okay, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I would also kind of describe if I had to like you know think out and flesh out her character more than she probably did. Um, like the thief without a conscience kind of concept. You know what I mean? Like she's not necessarily evil, but she don't give a crap. You know what I mean? Right. That was kind of where how I saw her character. It was like, I'm hanging out with these people. I want to not die. I got this collar on my neck. They're doing this crap. I'm along for the ride. Let's see where it goes. Um, but we had some fun with that. Um, 
I know there's a few twists that were not revealed, so if we ever go back, I don't want to spoil it, but right. um, it was just the fun concept. It, it was fun for me as a GM to kind of have the idea of here's what's going on and, okay, players, what do you want to do? And we we had a lot of where the players were sitting and talking and I was listening to try to plan ahead or like, okay, what are you guys planning on doing next session? So, oh, you're going to go to this town. I need to make sure I have that town prepared. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm like, I really feel like you had like, you know, maybe not the entire group because we had like one or two flaky people, but the core of your group, you know, Ed, myself and Chris, you had like a really strong foundation for a really good, you know, players group that really set you up to succeed, you know, like on top of your own abilities, you know what I mean? Like just we're like, we spent a lot of time in game in character discussing and plotting and planning, which gave you, like you said, that opportunity to sit back and just take notes and be ready for what was to come. Yeah. And and if I had a group of players that needed an, needed a set objective or they're not going to do anything, that game wouldn't have worked. Right. yeah. Yeah. Again, like it was, it was the right group for the game. You know what I mean? So I have a, a game concept that I would never run again. Uh, it's it's hey, game- we learn from our mistakes too. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> more so, it's it's essentially a, a gauntlet style game, and it just didn't work well for for me. Um, I had it was a, a heroes game that I ran. It was actually shortly after um, I'd watched an episode of Star Trek Voyager called The Year of Hell. Which I thought was an awesome, uh, yeah, awesome episode. That. Pretty good episode. And the whole idea being that these guys were going through this year of hell while trying to figure out what was going on around them. And then in in the episode, there ended up being uh, 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 chronomancers, essentially, who were changing time and altering time. And it turned out that they were actually what needed to be wiped out for things to go back to normal. So I didn't use that part of the plot device, but I decided, okay, I'm going to put my guys through the week of hell. And there's going to be this like ancient like mis- or this mysterious mystical force. Is that like college haze week? Yes, sort of. <laughs> uh, and the but the the idea was there was going to be this this strange mystical force that was summoning all kinds of like bad things and like villains and demons and those sorts of things into this city, and it was going to be nonstop combat and. So I was between sounds fun. I know (laughs) I was between 16 and 18. I think when I was, when I'd started maybe 19, when I started this. Um, And I, so I had a few years of GMing experience under me, but not like a lot. And, you know, it wasn't going to be absolutely nonstop. There was going to be some role-playing sections. They were going to find out things and there were going to, you know, there was going to be role-playing involved, but uh, every every one of those instances where the group is like talking about stuff is like five minutes, and then there's another thing they have to go stop, you know, and then there's another thing they have to go stop, and then and to, and the idea was that eventually they would be so exhausted that it would be exactly as I thought it would be. It would be the the week of hell, like they're just going through hell for this week, and then they find out what the actual issue is. They find some plot issues here, then they go stop it. And, and finally, you know, it, everything's sort of back to normal. It never really got to that point because just fight after fight, after fight, after fight, you know, just grinds on you. And it, it actually ended up being the game of hell, to be honest, because yeah, say, that's actually more grinding on the player than it is on the character. It's great. It's, it's very grinding as a GM too. Cause I oh, had, yeah. I just, you know, I didn't, 
at that time, I didn't have like a stock, like demon alien bad guy thing that I could just throw, you know, four or five of them at the group, you know, and, 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 you know, it was a generic bad guy. I had, I was creating at, at this point, I was still just using villains and creating various villains that they had to go fight and do their thing. And also it's funny because like each thing was literally happening just a few minutes after the other. So I described to them that a lot of heroes are also going through this, which made sense for when one of the characters died and another hero sort of popped in. But at the same time, it's like I had one player and he always brings this up to me. I had one player who went through this. Uh, he, he, he created a new character. It was one of his characters that died. He created a new character, gave this elaborate backstory, went through all these things, was a non-powered character, you know, was gonna, uh, you know, you know, sort of do his thing. Um, and it was, he was gonna, he, he had a lot, he put a lot of effort into it. Uh, and, and, and then I had randomly decided, uh, there was a mech that showed up. Uh, and when I say mech, think Dreadnought from Warhammer 40k had showed up. Uh, and I'd randomly decided who was going to attack and it attacked him and it attacked him with basically uh, a minigun and unloaded all of his bullets into him and it killed him within the, like the first action of him showing up. And I felt so like at the time I was like, eh, deaths happened. But in my head, like later on, I'm like, man, that was terrible. Like, so anyone out there who might be considering doing a gauntlet like that sort of thing, that's my failure on it. I don't know. I'm not saying that they they can't succeed, but don't do it the way I did it. <laughs> Which is funny because it's it's such a classic like superhero trope. Oh yeah. You know? Like the like the whole the introduction of Bane and the broken bat series for Batman, it, it started with Bane breaking everybody out of Arkham Asylum and then Batman had to fight through all exactly. of them and then exactly. face Bane at the end. Yeah, in in comics, in TV, in movies. Uh, it seems really cool, but for a game. Yeah, exactly. It just doesn't work for a tabletop role playing game, a video game. Even it would be fine, you know. But I tried to make that a role playing game, and there was hardly any role playing, so everyone was just building, you know. And after I killed a couple characters, everyone was just bringing in high stat, you know, fighting power optimized monsters, optimized fighters, optimized fighters. And I actually I I consider that one of the one of my least successful games because that to me spawned sort of a what would end up turn out being turning out being a history of characters built by the same sort of gaming group who are always optimized. They always had so this is the Heroes Unlimited system. They always had two three hundred SDC. Always had uh, their stat their stat physical prowess always somewhere up in the mid to high twenties, always had a really good strength, you know, uh, that started being sort of the trend as we kept playing that everyone always had high numbers. And I, I take some sort of negative credit for that because, because of that, uh, specific game where everyone realized, well, crap, all we can do is fight. So I might as well make the best character to fight that I have in the concept. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've mentioned in the past how like, you know, even though combat seems like it should be really exciting, like, you know, in game, what lasts like a minute in game lasts, you know, an hour out of game, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's why I can just, it can feel like it goes on forever. I think you could do that, you know, concept. I just think you'd have to be very careful in how you approach it just because it's combat after combat, after combat, after combat in game. Doesn't mean you have to literally go initiative into initiative, into initiative. You can have some role playing in between to break it well, up. I, I did have some role playing in between. So mm -hmm. it was not as if it was just combat and there was any role playing. We did have yeah. that. Um, but you could maybe even kind of like 
role play through a couple combats where it's like you don't even actually have them roll initiative you don't even actually have them roll any combat stores like okay some peons come through you plow through them you plow through another couple groups okay now there's an now there's an actually a challenging group coming on now i'm gonna actually make you guys roll you know what i mean yeah. i mean i don't know there's just off as the, a the more experienced gms yeah. there were definitely a lot of things that could have done to make that uh, more fun uh, and to make that a game that people would have remembered for good reasons instead of for sort of bad reasons. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, at the time I thought that would be a really good concept. So any young GMs out there or, or starting GMs, if you have the idea in your mind to do, Oh, I'm going to do a, a gauntlet style game. I'll, I'll, I'll combat and wear out my players. Don't do it. It's you're it's going to be, it's don't do it. And it is a common early GM, uh, thought process i think you know like i remember like when i was a young gm and i know when i've played with other less experienced gms is like when in doubt the roll combat out yeah you know what i mean like i i'm running out of story i'm running out of steam i don't know what to do you know what goblins some whatever let's fight something right. keep the game going and like sometimes that's not the best thing to do to keep the game going yeah, especially remember, over and over and over again i remember there being a mystery writer who said that uh when he was writing if the plot ever slowed down too much. He'd have somebody kick in the door with a gun and try to kill the main character. They usually pick things up again. Uh, and it can work when used sparsely, but you rely on it and it just stops carrying the weight. Yeah. Uh, the way I write, that'd be twice a chapter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was playing with a group and I could pretty much almost dictate when their combat was coming. Cause it's like uh, the DM would just be sitting there like, uh, I'm like, Oh, oh wait for it. Roll initiative. Yep, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> and then Blah comes in. Oh, more goblins. Cool. <laughs> we kill those too. All right. So that's just some of the stories that we wanted to just kind of share about past past campaigns we've done, some of the premises that they've had, whether they've worked out, not worked out, or people taking them as examples to not do, or when are we getting back to that one again? Um, if you have any, you'd like to share any fun campaign concepts, definitely feel free to uh, shoot us information. We have the message boards, gamemasterstudio.proboards.com. We're on Twitter, GMS studios. And of course you can find us on Facebook. We are here with new regular episodes every week. And these bonus episodes come out, as we get to them, we will uh, sign off for now and we will see you the next time we're in the studio.